Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to be back in the auditorium for lots of reasons. It's good to be with you, as Aaron said. I know that you have a lot going on uh, during the week, and so being here on a Wednesday night is not always easy to fight the traffic and the schedule and everything you have got going on in your life, trying to feed your family and, and get here for Bible class, but you did that, and I so appreciate that, or you're participating online, we appreciate that as well. I got to tell you before I get started, because I thought it was was funny, and, and I also felt a little bit guilty. Um, that this last weekend, I was uh, preaching in, uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, I, won't, I won't tell the family that told me this story, but uh, I, I was preaching in Oklahoma this weekend, and, and I, I, I said to the church there what I always say to you, I love you, and I told the church there, I love you, but there was a, a couple from McDermott Road there at that church, and they were like, wait a second. He's not supposed to be, he's cheating on us. So I, I have to confess that I do, I do say that to all the churches, but uh, uh, I, do, I do love you. It doesn't change the fact that I do love you. Um, and in fact, love is what this, uh, tonight we're going to talk about. It's what we're going to talk about throughout this entire series. And really, as I think about that word love, we are going to talk about sex and sexuality in this class uh, this quarter, but but we're going to talk in in terms of this uh, much bigger picture of love. And as I think about that word and that concept and that idea, it's amazing how much confusion there is around the word love, isn't there? Not just in the world, in society, in culture, um, and it's not just true in our culture, in our world, it's always been the case that there's always been discussion and debate and disagreement about what does it mean to, to love someone? What is love? What is love all about? What, it, what does it mean to be someone who loves well? But, but I'm not just talking about disagreement and debate out there as it pertains to love. I'm talking about disagreement in here in me, in Wes, trying to figure out how to love well, and I'm guessing in you as well. In fact, it, it occurs to me that, that nearly every, every story that we, that we tell, every movie that we watch, every television show that we turn on, every book that we read, from both modern and ancient, so much of story revolves around love, doesn't it? trying to find love, trying to keep love, uh, dealing with the loss of love, uh, dealing with the, the hurt and the pain uh, of when we're not loved well. And, and in fact, we, we save some of the strongest words in our vocabulary for things that pertain to love, don't we? In fact, what do we call it what do we call it when we experience a pain around love? We call it having your heart, what? Broken. Broken. Because that's exactly what it feels like, doesn't it? There's so much of our thoughts and our feelings and our life that revolves around this idea of love. Just think about how much pain we experience if we, how about, don't feel that our parents really loved us. I mean, think about how much pain revolves around that. 
And think about even just from a, a cultural standpoint, how many movies and television shows and stories that we, we love and that compel us revolve around that theme alone. Someone who doesn't feel like their parents love them. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by stories. I'm fascinated by, by interviews with famous people. I, I'm, I'm fascinated when, when I see an interview with a, a movie star or some celebrity and somebody who's by worldly standards incredibly successful and how many of them went into what they did and pursued what they pursued and gave up everything else and sacrificed everything else, gave their entire life to the pursuit of their career in order to make their parents proud of them because they didn't really feel like their parents loved them. They felt neglected by their parents or abused by their parents or ignored by their parents. So much of our pain, if we were to sit, you and I, we could talk for hours, I'm sure, all of us, about pain that revolves around um, our experience growing up. Or when we love someone who doesn't love us back. Or when we lose someone we love. Death or divorce or breakup. Or how about when we're hurt by someone who claimed to love us? Betrayal, manipulation, violation. So many of our pains revolve around love. So many of our joys revolve around love, but also so many of our pains revolve around love. Love is this experience where we're opening ourselves up to someone else and we make ourselves vulnerable to one another. And, and really, if, it, if we get right down to it, so much of what it means to be human is that every single one of us want to love and be loved. Isn't that true? That's, that's at the very core of everything that we want. We want to be loved and we want to love other people. We want to share and experience love. But what, what does that mean? And again, there's so much disagreement and confusion over what it means to love. What do we mean by love? What do we mean when we say we want to be loved? What do we mean when we say we love someone else? On the way here tonight, I was having this conversation with my 14-year-old son around what is love? What is love? We couldn't even agree on it. It is incredibly difficult, isn't it? When someone says, I love you, what do they mean by that? When you tell someone, I love you, what do you mean by that? And why is it that we are hurt so many times by people who say that they love us? And why is it that we have hurt so many people that we say that we love? How we love, what we love, when we love, who we love, who we don't love, how we don't love? There's something at the very core of all of that that is broken, isn't it? Just looking at this list probably strikes at your heart, doesn't it? In one way or the other, because all of us have been wounded in these ways. All of us have probably wounded others in these ways. And so when it comes to this topic of love, I think it would be really good if all of us could express the humility to say, I don't know how to love like I should. I don't know how to be loved 
like I should. I don't know how to love other people like I should. I, it's what I want more than anything in the world. I want to love and I want to be loved, but if I'm honest, I don't know how to do it as well as I should. So what can help that? What can solve that? What can make that better? Well, I saw a billboard this weekend. I was driving down the highway and I saw a big billboard that says, Jesus is the answer to all of your problems. And I thought, well, I mean, yeah, I agree with that. Of course I agree with that. But doesn't that kind of, doesn't it kind of seem a little trite to just say, Jesus is the answer to all of your problems? Okay, I mean, that's true, but how so? How so? In what way is Jesus an answer to all of our problems? And what problems exactly do I have that Jesus has the answer to? How can Jesus solve this problem of figuring out what is love and what does it mean to be loved and to love other people? Let's look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Actually, before we get to that, Song of Solomon, I, I forgot I was going to mention this. Again, strong, powerful language around love. Even much water cannot put out the flame of love. Floods cannot drown love. If a man offered everything in his house for love, people would totally reject it. We want to be loved probably more than anything in the world. But look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. Here's Paul explaining why Jesus is the answer and why Everyone needs Jesus. The Jewish people needed Jesus. The Gentile people needed Jesus. And so Paul starts with the Gentile people and why they need Jesus. Now, as we go through this text, I, I, I want to say to you something I, I say often. I'm not talking about them. <laughs> Whoever they are, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about me and I'm talking about you. I'm talking about our, our disordered loves the way our love is broken. And when I say love, again, we're talking about our relationships with everyone, not just sexual relationships, but all of our relationships to one degree or the other, although we'll focus a lot in this class on our romantic relationships. But again, we're not talking about them. We're talking about us because that's where the conversation has to begin, isn't it? It has to begin with taking the log out of our own eye, first recognizing why, why do I need Jesus? And what does Jesus offer to me? And how, how is it that I'm desperately in need of what Jesus has to offer? And so Paul begins explaining to the church at Rome why everyone needs Jesus, both the Gentile and the Jewish people. And he begins with the Gentiles and he says this in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I could just spend the whole evening right there in Romans 1 and verse 18. First of all, let's start with that word ungodliness. Ungodliness. Ungodliness is the opposite, obviously, of godliness. Godliness is a life that is directed towards God. A life that's directed towards God. A life that fears God, that is humble before God, that is pious, that worships God. And so Paul says God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness. All, all life that doesn't revere God, doesn't fear God, doesn't worship God. The people whose lives aren't oriented towards God. 
They don't fear him. They don't honor him. They don't respect him. They don't worship him. And, and to one degree or the other, that has been all of us, hasn't it? We have all been ungodly, failed to worship him and revere him and respect him and love him and adore him. And our ungodliness leads to unrighteousness. Another word for unrighteousness is injustice. Injustice. Because this is what happens when we are ungodly, when our life isn't oriented towards God, when we don't fear him and love him and respect him and obey him, then we also mistreat the people that are made in his image. And so we commit injustice against each other. We commit injustice against other human beings when we are ungodly. When we don't fear God and love God and adore God and worship God and honor God and respect God, when we don't live a life that's oriented towards him, it is inevitable that we mistreat each other. And again, this is true of all of us. This is true of you. It's true of me. This is why the world needs Jesus, because we, we were ungodly and we were unrighteous. We, we were committing injustices against one another. And, and Paul says God's wrath is revealed against this. Now, as modern people, we get a little bit embarrassed that the Bible says that sometimes, don't we? That God has wrath. Because modern people don't like to think about God as getting angry. Like, don't get angry, God. You're supposed to be loving. Don't be angry. But isn't it funny how we say that? In, at one point, we say, God, you know, it's kind of embarrassing that God is a God that gets angry and he has wrath. But then at the same time, we also say, when we see a tragedy, when we see horrible things that people do to one another, what's the question that everybody asks? Where was God? Where was God? We want God to be mad when there's a school shooting, don't we? We want God to be upset about genocide, don't we? About racism, about slavery, about all the injustices. We look back and we say, why did God allow these things to happen? Or we look across the world now and we say, why does God allow these things to happen? Why doesn't God get angry about that? So on the one hand, we want God to be angry about some injustices. But on the other hand... We, we, we get scandalized when we say God gets angry about things that we do. We want God to be mad about the things that we get mad about, but not mad about the things we don't get mad about. In other words, we want God to be exactly like us. And if God is exactly like you, if he always thinks just like you, and he gets mad about the exact same things you get mad about, and, and he loves all the things that you love, then he's a God of your own imagination, He's not the God of heaven. The God of heaven gets angry at all injustice, at all ungodliness, at all failures to orient life around him because a life that isn't oriented towards God, that doesn't love God and worship God and revere God and fear God is a life that doesn't respect and honor and treat well the people around him or her. We don't love our neighbors well when we don't fear God because then we're just doing what we want to do. We're just following our own desires. And God, God is upset at, angry at, wrathful towards all injustices, even the injustices that you've committed, the hearts that you've broken, the lies that 
you've told, the promises that you've failed to keep. Again, we want God to be angry when someone breaks our heart, but God says, I'm angry at all of the heartbreaking, all of the injustices, all of the mistreating one another. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, the people that, that disregard God and don't revere God and worship God, the, the Gentile nations. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. God is rightfully angry because he says, you see all of this stuff, don't you? Like you see, you see the beautiful mountains and you see the ocean and you see the stars and you see the moon and you see the sun. You, you, you taste good food on your tongue. You experience laughter and happiness and joy and you look at all of those things and you say, this is awesome. Your, your next thought should be, whoever made this, whoever designed this, whoever created this, whoever painted this beautiful picture, I adore him. I love him. I want to live for him. I want to be in his presence. I want to do what he wants me to do. I want to be who he made me to be. All of this beautiful creation should drive you to his feet to worship him and adore him. But humanity hasn't done that. We've, we've said, oh, oh, no, no, I like the stuff. I, I like this beautiful picture of this mountain. I like the ocean. I like good food. I like to experience sex. I like this. I like laughter. I like joy. I like happiness. I like all the stuff. But I'm going to pretend like it all just happened or that someone else created this or gave me this, and I'm not going to think about or adore or love or worship whoever it was that created this. And Paul says people are without excuse when they don't give God the honor that he is due. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And notice that when we fail to orient our life around God, when we fail to worship him and serve him and love him, when we look at the, the beautiful things in the world, we laugh at a funny joke and we taste wonderful food and we, we see a beautiful mountain range and we don't honor and give thanks to God, our thinking and our feeling, our desires, our motivations, our heart and our mind become distorted. This is what has happened to humanity. Not just you, but all people. And specifically, he's talking about the Gentile nations. This is what's happened to the Gentile nations. Us, us and our forefathers. That, that because we did not worship the one who obviously created all of this and give him honor and thanks, we became distorted in our thinking and our feeling. Not just our feeling. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, well, if you follow your heart and you follow your desires, that's obviously wrong. But it's also our thinking that becomes futile. 
I mean, Paul would look around at all of the, the philosophers of the world and say, I mean, it sounds reasonable what they're, what they're saying. And we can look at the, the philosophers of, of our world and say, it sounds reasonable. The conclusions that they're, they're trying to draw, they sound reasonable. But if you begin without God, you are going to come to the wrong conclusions. Let me say that again. If you begin without God, you will come to the wrong conclusions. And and whatever conclusions you draw, based on your feelings or based on your thoughts and your reasoning and your logic, if if you don't begin with God and a fear of God and a love for God, an adoration of God, a worship for God, you are going to come to the wrong conclusions. And that's true for you, it's true for me, and we've all done that. We have all done that. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See, here's the thing. There's no one that doesn't worship. Everyone worships. Everyone worships something. Now, ancient people tended to carve images of things that they worshipped. We tend not to do that, but it doesn't change the fact that we still continue to worship money and sex and power. And in fact, I would say that in our modern world, what we tend to worship more than anything else is self. Self. We worship self. We have created an idol of ourselves of our thoughts, our conclusions, our reasonings, our desires, our hopes, our whatever, and we have elevated ourselves above all things, and we say, that's ultimate. That is ultimate. My feelings, my thoughts, my conclusions, my wants, my desires, my independence, my autonomy, this is the ultimate thing. I answer only to me. I serve only me. I belong only to me. I will do what I want to do. And we have elevated and made an idol of ourselves, our egos. And every human civilization that has ever been has worshipped something. And Paul says when you worship the creation rather than the creator... When your lives don't revolve around God, when you don't adore him and serve him and love him, then your thinking and your feeling, your heart and your mind become distorted. Just a word about a book I recently read. It's called Rethinking Sex by Christine Imba. Christine Imba. And she she was kind of tackling this idea of sexuality from a very modern perspective. The book is very graphic, so I'm not necessarily recommending it, but it's interesting because she, she talks about this sort of liberation, this sexual liberation that our culture has experienced in that people feel like they can do whatever they want to do and the only sort of bar for whether or not a, a sexual act is okay or not is whether or not an adult is consenting. And as long as somebody is a consenting adult, then it doesn't really matter anything else, and that's the only bar. And she began to realize, well, people aren't really happy with that. People are miserable. And just because two adults were consenting doesn't mean it was actually good. And so she was saying, well, what, what other sort of standard could we have besides just 
consent. And she said, well, would it be too much to ask? She went through all of these horrible stories of the way this hookup culture has treated these young people and how it's just using and abusing one another. And she said, well, what if, what if our standard was love? What, what if, is it too much to ask that two people love each other, even if they're not committed to each other, even if it's just, a, just for a moment, if they just love each other for a minute? And she defined love as seeking the good of the other person. But do we see that when we disconnect love from God, when we disconnect our moral choices from God, who's to say what love is? Even if we define it as seeking the other person's good, what does that mean? What is good? What does it mean to seek another person's good? You see how all of these things become very subjective and arbitrary and how they become very circular when we disconnect these things from God, when we serve and worship and adore something other than God, when we make creation the, the object of our worship rather than the creator, then our thinking and our feeling, our hearts and our minds become distorted. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to Pay attention to this phrase, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We tend to think, or I've always tended to think, that, that the, the secular world, the unbelieving world, uh, puts a lot of emphasis, maybe undue emphasis, on the human body. But, but the the fact of the matter is that they actually don't emphasize or respect the body enough. The human body, the human body is the most sacred physical object. The human body is sacred. The human body, it doesn't matter how old the human body is, how young the human body is, what the human body may look like, what it's capable of doing or incapable of doing. If it is a living human body, if it is a human body, it is a person that was created to bear the image of God. In, 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 in the ancient world, the image, an image bearer of the gods was typically an idol. The one true and living God didn't want to have images that were made out of wood or stone or metal. He wanted living, breathing images. And every human body you come into contact with, including your own human body, is sacred because it is an image bearer of the living God. It's sacred. And if you dishonor the one to whom that body points, then you dishonor the image of that one to whom it points. I mean, think about, think about sacred places, places that are sort of set apart, that are special places. If you've ever been to the, the 9-11 memorial in New York City or maybe the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., or even just to a cemetery, there, there's a sort of honor and respect that you have in a place like that, isn't there? Because it's not just a place like any other. It points to a reality that's bigger and greater than itself. But if you deny, if you deny the, the bigger and greater reality, then you dishonor 
the one to whom it points. You, you, dishonor, you dishonor that place as well as the one to whom it points. And the same is true with human beings. If you don't revere God and adore God and treasure God and love God and worship God and thank God and, and devote your life to him and orient your life around him, then you will inevitably dishonor not only your own body, but the bodies of other people. Ungodliness leads to injustice. You dishonor your own human body and the human bodies of other people when you don't understand the reality that these human bodies point to the one who created them. We are image bearers of God. Let me just kind of pause to make this point. Failing to love and worship God results in dishonoring human bodies that were made to bear his image. We're going to spend a lot of time this quarter talking about bodies because bodies, human bodies are sacred. Your body is sacred. And the way that it was created, including your body's sexuality, was created to honor the one who created your body, who created you, and you are your body. You're not just a spirit who happens to be in a body that has nothing to do with you. You are your body. You are a whole person, body, soul, spirit. You are a whole person. And your body is, if you're a Christian, it is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And even if you're not a Christian, You are an image bearer of God. Your body is the closest thing to an idol that the living God has made and has authorized. And every human you come into contact with is someone sacred. They have a special sacred relationship and vocation from God. And when we dishonor God, when we just kind of go about our life and we say, well, it's just my body and it's just a bunch of meat and, you know, I can do with my body what I want to do with my body and your body is just a bunch of meat and you can do with your body what you want to do with your body. Imagine if we did that to a sacred place, to a place that's been set apart to honor something bigger and greater than itself. And we treated it like a playground. And we disrespected that place. We would only really do such a thing if we didn't really honor that to which it pointed. See, this is why when we fail to orient our life around God, when we fail to worship him and love him and serve him and honor him and fear him and obey him, then we will inevitably dishonor our own bodies and dishonor the bodies of other people. It's exactly what Paul is talking about here. And this is exactly what he means, I think, in the next verse, which this, this part begins to get a little bit more sensitive. Listen to what he says here. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now we're going to, we'll spend more time, we'll get into this more in the future, but, but Paul's point here seems to be exactly what we're talking about. That the human body, including the compatibility of sexuality between men and women, is what the body was created to do, 
And when we take the body and we use the body in a way that is contrary to its created purpose, we, we dishonor, not just dishonor God, but we dishonor, we dishonor the body. We dishonor the body because we're using it in a way that it wasn't created to be used. And this is the natural result of failing to worship and serve God. But it's not just this particular example. We have all done this. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit, again, he's talking about humanity in general, see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind filled with futile thoughts to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Are you on that list? Uh, Let me ask you again. Are you on that list? I'm on that list. We are all on that list. We have every single one of us dishonored our own body and the body of other people. We have failed to love love that which God created to be his image bearers because we first failed to love him. Because we first failed to love God, we have used our mouths in ways that dishonored our body and the body of others. We have used our minds in ways that has dishonored our own body and the body of others. We have used our hands. We've used our feet. We've used our sexuality. We've used every part of us and dishonored ourselves and dishonored other people, hated one another, coveted. We were malicious. We, we strove with each other. We were deceitful. We did all of these things because we failed to see the creation and give honor to the creator. And instead, we worshiped the creation. We said, I really like money, and I really like power, and I really like sex, and I really like having a good time, and I just want to make my life all about those things. And the result is we've mistreated ourselves and one another. Paul says in verse 32, though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, how did, how did ungodly people know that these things were wrong? We still know they're wrong, don't we? I mean, go find somebody on the street who's an atheist. Or or think back to a time in your life where you really didn't care about God or you weren't really living a religious life. And did you know that lying was wrong, deceiving people was wrong, being cruel and mean to people was wrong? We all know that, right? We all know that. So if I just went out on the street and I found somebody and said, do you believe in God? And they said, no, I don't believe in God. And I said, is lying wrong? What would they probably say? Yes, I think lying's wrong. You shouldn't lie to people. And then the next question is, have you lied to people? What would they say? Yeah, I've lied to people. We've all done this. And why did we do this? Because we were suppressing the truth. We were suppressing the truth. We knew better. We knew that's not what our body was made to do. We knew that's not what our mouth was made to do. We knew that that's not what our heart was made to do. We knew that was not what our mind was made to do. We knew that was not what our hands were made to do. And yet we used them in those ways anyway, and we suppressed the truth about God. We suppressed the truth about God, and it caused us to become this kind 
of people. Listen to, again, some of the summary of what Paul is saying here. Suppressing the theological truth that is apparent in the created order leads to the things he's talking about. Debased minds that are really unable to make moral judgments. Darkened hearts, our motives, our desires, our loves are disordered. Dishonored bodies and ultimately death. And again, I, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about us. This is why we need Jesus, because we have suppressed the truth about God. But, but listen, again, to get back to our main point, why do we need Jesus? Listen to what John says, 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from where or who? Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you want to love well, love your spouse well, love your neighbor well, love your boss well, love your own body well, then you can only get that from one place, God. God is the source of love. He says this, verse nine, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God because we haven't, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The love of Jesus teaches us first to love God and then being born again from God, then we can really begin to love one another. See, this is why we don't love well. Because we haven't been fully transformed by the love of Jesus. It is this love of Jesus that transforms us, changes our hearts and minds to love God and reorient our whole lives around him so that we fear him and obey him and adore him and surrender to him. And then when we do that, then being born again by that love, through that love, then we can really begin to love one another. He says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Everyone wants to love and to be loved. You want that. Your Muslim neighbor wants that. Your Buddhist neighbor wants that. Your Hindu neighbor wants that. Your gay neighbor wants that. Your transgender neighbor wants that. Your, your boss wants that. Your children want that. We all want to love and be loved. And the way to be transformed into people who can really do that is through the gospel, by becoming followers of Jesus and allowing this love that was manifest in the cross of Jesus Christ to begin to transform us and sanctify us. Only God's love can teach us how to truly love and be loved. That's what we're going to talk about this quarter. Let's pray. Father God, we confess to you that we have failed to love you and we have failed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And consequently, we have dishonored ourselves. We have dishonored our own bodies and we have dishonored the bodies of our neighbors. And Father, we confess that sin to you and we pray, Father, that through your love manifest in Jesus, that we will begin to be born again and transformed, that we may love you and love one another as you have loved us. 
Father, we pray that you allow us as we think about these things and reflect on them and are renewed by them, that you will help us to be, to be your children that are marked by love, love for you and love for one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.